When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier. This week is week four in our four-part series on the four tendencies and we'll be talking about rebels. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And on Twitter, a listener described her as a subtle riot, which is so true. Well, thanks for that. Um, that's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, I'm happy to announce it's 49 degrees here today. So we finally have fall into uh, November. Oh, amazing. Um, and speaking of fall, for our upcoming very special episode, episode 40, is going to be a holiday episode. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear your Try This at Home. What is your try this at home for staying happier, healthier, and more productive over the holidays? It could have to do with getting along with your family, dealing with food, managing travel. What do you do that you would suggest to everybody else? We can all learn from each other. So send us our, your try this at home, whether that's on by email, Twitter, Facebook, post it on my blog. Get in touch with us and let us know what have you tried and what works for you. Also, Grudge, before we get into talking about Rebels, uh, we just wanted to let everyone know that we've had so much response to these four tendency episodes. It's been incredible. So we're actually working on a sort of a follow-up episode with uh, listener emails and questions and sort of just a roundup of the four tendencies because there's just been too much to fit into these episodes. So thank you, everyone, and, you know, more to come. Excellent. 
So now for the try this at home for the rebel tendency. Now to go do a quick recap of the four tendencies for people who haven't listened. Um, and again, if you want to hear more about this, you can go back to episodes 35, 36, 37, where we talk about the other tendencies or episode 13, which is like an overview tendency. Um, and to take the quiz, go to happiercast.com slash quiz if you want to take a quiz that will tell you your tendency. But here it is in a nutshell. It has to do with how you deal with an expectation outer expectations like a work deadline or inner expectations like a New Year's resolution. And there are upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders readily meet outer and inner expectation. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. Obligers readily meet outer expectations but struggle to meet inner expectations. And rebels, and that's who we're going to be focusing on today, resist outer and inner expectations alike. They they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist, and they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. But before we launch into the Try This at Home, there's just a few overview things I wanted to mention because it keeps coming up in the questions. First is you can't look at someone from the outside and know their tendency. You have to know the way they think because you can do the same thing, but for different reasons. And that'll be dependent on your tendency. Also, Gretch, Annika asked, which I thought was a really good question, if the four tendencies um, match up with the Myers-Briggs personality test. Do you think there's a correlation? Well, you know, I think that every personality framework has its own strengths, whether it's DISC or Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or whatever. And I think you kind of lose the nuance if you try to map them onto each other. So I really think it's better to just let every framework stand on its own. Somebody even mm-hmm. tried to make it for the four tendencies correlate to the four houses of Hogwarts, which definitely does oh, not work. Um, so I think <gasps> I let them stand on their own is what I think. Well, I like to think I'm a Gryffindor. <laughs> don't we all? But that don't we all? <laughs> of course. You're Ravenclaw. No, no, no. no. Uh, Ravenclaw's good. Well, they're all good. <laughs> Another question that came up uh, uh, from Sarah and others have asked this as well is um, how do the four tendencies apply to children? At what point does this start emerging in your kids? Uh, This is really interesting. I think that for some children, it's obvious really early. And I think that's especially true if you have a rebel child and an upholder child, because those are the more extreme tendencies. And so they kind of show up earlier in general. For the most part, I think it can take a really long time to know what a child is because they're not autonomous in the way that adults are. And so, like, I, I think you could be a full-blown adult before it was clear um, what your tendency was. So I, I think it, it, it emerges over time. Although I will say, I think you, had we had the four tendencies to look at, you being an upholder would have been clear probably by the age of eight, the right. latest. Because it's an extreme tendency, so it, it's pretty obvious. Yes, I think I think you're. I think I was an upholder at age eight. But so, Liz, our try this at home tip for the final week of the four tendencies is to try to think of a motto for your tendency. Um, one of the things I found is that when you try to distill your thoughts. It's really helpful in clarifying your ideas. Like I did eight splendid truths of happiness and a happiness manifesto. And there's something about like coming up with a motto that I think will help people clarify their thoughts. I love that. I love a good motto. So what about obliger? You're an obliger. Would you have a motto? I think I don't know that it's um, I don't know that I love it in terms of what it says about me. But I feel like the motto is yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Ah, 
because it's just like I, I feel like I'm so responsive to authority and to, you know, people's expectations that it's always like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'll do it. So that's my obliger motto. I don't, I'd love to hear from other obligers what their mottos are. And how about you? Uh, I think for an upholder, motto is discipline brings freedom. Uh, I think I've heard you say that. Yeah, yes. it's definitely a mantra for me. And I remember I said that to a rebel one time, and like she literally backed away from oh, me. Oh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, she's like, no, freedom means no rules. And I was like, whoa, we are so different. But um, but I would love to hear people's mantra. I, I asked this one time to a group of people, and like for each of the separate ones. And when I came to the questioners, their motto was, why do we need a motto? Oh, that's funny. That's great. <laughs> um, so I'm dying to hear people's motto. And if you can, try to make it capture both the positive and negative. But I'm fasc- I'll be fascinated to see what people think is the motto of their tendency. So uh, if you try this at home and come up with a motto for your tendency, leave us a voicemail. Say, um, I'm so-and-so and my tendency is X and our motto is Y. And we would love to play some of these for everybody um, in an upcoming episode. And our number is 77-HAPPY-336. Okay, now strengths and weaknesses for rebels. Uh, rebel is a very small category. Not that many people are rebels, but they tend to be very conspicuous. And remember, the tendency is just one aspect of a person's nature. And so rebels will look very different when it's mixed up with things like how considerate are they for other people, how ambitious they are, how creative they are. Um, This is one aspect, but it's a pretty striking aspect of their nature. And as you said, Gretch, the sort of definition of a rebel is that they resist both inner and outer expectations. So the strengths that come with that are putting a high value on freedom, on choice, on self-expression. Rebels love to meet a challenge in their own way. They're independent-minded. They think outside the box. They're willing to go their own way and buck social conventions. Uh, Rebels can be very principled according to their own view which is good. Um, They're in touch with their authentic desires. They can be spontaneous, enthusiastic. Um, They usually get what they want and they are determined. So that's a lot of good stuff. That's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of strengths to the rebel tendency. And you hit all the high points, choice, freedom, authenticity, But, you know, as with all the tendencies, the upsides bring their downsides. You know, there are like two sides of the same coin. And so the fact is, if you're dealing with a rebel, if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. They can be perceived as uncooperative or inconsiderate because they don't really listen to what other people are asking or telling them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, They often resist doing things consistently. Like they don't like to do the same thing over and over the same way. They can be kind of restless. They find it hard to settle down, even living in one place or having the same job. They sometimes, you know, they act like the rules don't apply to them, which can be Mm. annoying to the people around them. They just don't respond well to supervision, advice, directions. And another thing about them is they often, they're very motivated. It's, It's interesting. It's sort of a paradox because on the one hand, they so want to be free, but they can almost be manipulated sometimes by like, well, I don't think you can. And they're like, well, I'll show you. Or, you know, well, you couldn't mm-hmm. do that. Watch me. Um, so sort of this reverse psychology sometimes works really well in Rebels. And so 
there's definite upsides to rebels, but there are also these drawbacks to, to rebel tendency. Well, it's funny because I think Los Angeles draws a lot of rebels, Ooh. or at least the entertainment business. I feel like I probably see a higher number of rebels than the average person just because, one, you can get away with flouting the rules in Hollywood as long as you produce something somebody wants. So I think it um, it's conducive to that. Um, and I think it's uh, there, especially maybe among director types, it's like they want to do things their own way and they're don't care what other people think. And that is actually creatively can be a really good thing. It can lead to a great product, even if the process might be unpleasant for those around them. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's sort of an environment where you would get upsides from being a rebel, but you wouldn't be experiencing downsides. Like you've talked about, I mean, you've talked about things that happen in your workplace where I'm like, wow, like I remember working at a law firm and nobody would do that at a law firm. You know, you'd be kicked right. out so fast. I mean, because so um, it, 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 there's more room for that tendency to show its true nature without negative repercussions. It's probably helpful to me moving forward if I see a rebel in my midst to recognize them as a rebel. And then I can sort of use that reverse psychology on them to get them to do what I want. <laughs> yes. No, because because if you go to them with like your obliger thing, like, oh, this would really help me out. Or, you know, you said you would do this or it's going to really hurt somebody's feelings if you don't do it or whatever. I mean, it, those kind of arguments might not work as well. But something that some people often say is like, well, can rebels, can they be successful? Sometimes people are like, well, mm-hmm. but isn't this going to make, and you make a great example of how they can be very successful. But it's also a fact of like a rebel can do whatever a rebel wants to do. And so if a rebel wants to do something, they can do it. And I mean, a great example of that was in episode 34, where we talked to Lisa Randall, who is this, you know, eminent Harvard professor of physics, you know, she studies dark matter. And um, she's a rebel, because she wants to do that. And so whatever it takes to do that, she can do. There's nothing that a tendency would prevent you from, but you just have to figure out how to use the strengths and the weaknesses to your advantage um, so you can get yourself to go where you want to go. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, now for a striking pattern. Gretch, talk me through this. Okay, here is a super striking pattern that is almost without exception been consistent. It's been fascinating to study this. If a rebel is paired, uh, usually that's in a you know romantic relationship, but it's also true at work um, as well. Almost certainly that person who's paired with a rebel is an obliger. 
This is like 99.5%. I have only talked to a few people who have convinced me that they are partnered with a rebel and they themselves are not an obliger. The obliger rebel pattern is super consistent. Well, that makes sense because it seems like only an obliger would really be able to abide rebel behavior. Well, I, I think that's exactly right. Well, obligers are type O, is very appropriate. You know, they're the ones who get along with everybody. And you're, I think you're exactly right because people are often like, well, why do rebels seek out obligers? I think it's more that rebels and questioners or upholders like can't sustain it. Because here's the really interesting thing. Last episode, we talked about the obliger rebellion pattern, which was a striking pattern for obligers. And there is this deep affinity between obligers and rebels. And I think obligers really get a kick out of rebels being, because an obliger feels like everybody's telling them what to do. And a rebel's like, hey, we don't have to listen to them. Come with me. We're right. going to ignore them all. And so that's exciting to an obliger. But here's the thing. Like, rebels, often there's a lot of stuff that they can't successfully do. Weirdly, like, a lot of rebels have mentioned to me specifically how much they don't like to pay bills. There's something about, like, ah. having to do something at the same time every month, and you have to do it. Like, they really don't want to do it. And they'll say something like, well, but it's okay because my obliger spouse is good about doing that kind of thing. And so the obliger kind of fulfills those tasks that are very challenging to a rebel because they just really want to push back and resist these things that they, you know, moving the car to the, you know, to the opposite side of the street or, uh, you know, uh, shoveling the, the, the sidewalk, that kind of thing. Rebels often really don't want to do that. It's interesting, though, that you say there is, it's not just as if the rebel's taking advantage of the obliger. The obliger does get something out of it, which is sort of, as you said, like an escape from obligation. No, and there's, they're very authentic. They know what they want. They're in touch with their emotions. Like They think outside the box. There's all these advantages of being paired with them. But that seems to be the stable thing. And, and here's the other thing that's interesting about um, rebels is that a lot of the strategies for habit change that work for the other tendencies don't work for rebels. It's not even like they don't work. It's like they could be counterproductive. Right. So like say to an, ob an obliger, accountability is crucial. We talked about that last week. For an obliger, external accountability is the most important thing in order to meet an inner expectation. But for a rebel, external accountability can be actually counterproductive. And so if you're dealing with a rebel and you're like, well, I'm going to be watching you and, you know, we're going to check up on you and make sure you're going to get this work handed in by Friday. They're going to be like, you can't make me. I'm the boss of me. Watch me hand it in on Monday. And um, so that a kind of accountability is not helpful. And I guess even if you say something to them like, hey, good job on paying the bills last month or good job eating, eating um, so well this week, that could backfire. And they could be like, well, I'm going to show you that I'm not going to eat well next week. Right. No, it, it's it, like that kind of thing. Somebody said to me, oh, well, I keep telling my rebel husband like how proud I am of him. And then he stops. I'm like, oh, my gosh, don't tell him you're proud of him because that makes mm -hmm. it sound like you think he's like meeting your demands, which is not what um, not what works. And here's the interesting thing. Somebody said to me, um, an obliger married to a rebel said, I finally realized that the less I ask for, the more I get. Uh, and so I think sometimes for the obliger rebels to deal, to, to live in harmony, it's to understand that making demands will inspire that imp of perversity. And so to just, you know, let them make their choices, act from freedom, and then, and then they'll, do, they'll choose to do things. But if you're asking, if you're demanding a lot of times, then that just makes them all the more... Resistant. Yeah, all the more determined to say, no, 
I'm the boss of me. That's not that's not the way I want to go. So it's it's a very striking pattern. I have to say, as an obliger, I could not be with a rebel because I get so uptight and nervous and like gut churning when people are not following the rules. You know, I it 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 it, it doesn't give me a sense of freedom. It makes me feel very uncomfortable. Well, and as an upholder, that's definitely how I feel. Like it would make me so uneasy. I, I, I couldn't sustain. I have a lot of friends who are rebels, but I couldn't be in a, like a long-term relationship with one because I think it would just, if I was close to them and, and around them all the time, I think it would just start to really, really wear on me. And Gretch, what about um, the whole thing you found about rebels in the military? Oh, yes. This is another striking pattern about rebels. So so rebels want to act from choice and freedom, and they want to be unconstrained. But here's the another kind of paradoxical aspect of rebels. They often are drawn to areas of high regulation, like the military, the police, the clergy. And I've gone back and forth and tried to understand this because to me that was so counterintuitive. But what I found, what they've told me is that that they're attracted to these rules because in a way, then it gives them something to push off against. Like, it's not that they're necessarily going to be following all of them, but it gives them enough structure, which kind of gives them energy. It's like being able to push off the side of the swimming pool. You need something to press up against that bounces you off. And they say if they don't have enough rules, uh, enough expectations, they can somehow sort of lose energy. But when they're in these high areas of expectations, that keeps them going. It kind of feeds their rebel nature to kind of be working in that framework, which is so fascinating to me. Well, to that point, Gretch, I heard an interview with a general who was saying that at West Point, they don't judge, you know, your future uh, potential based on how many times you break the rules, you know, in your sort of file but more on your peer reviews and if your peers look up to you and trust you. So even within the military, they recognize that there's a certain amount of rule breaking that's going to happen. That's so fast. I mean, and they probably want to take advantage of it. I, I went and spoke at West Point. And I mean, I could just just walking through the campus, which is amazing. I was like my upholder nature was just firing away. I could just feel it, you know, <laughs> kicking in and practically ready to sign up. They're going to do uh, uh, push-ups at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah, executive West Point. Um, and then I spoke to this class, and the only other upholder in the room was the instructor. Wow. And he was amazed, and I was amazed. So, you know, there's a lot. It's, these things, there's sort of layers within layers, but that's fascinating that they've kind of officially recognized that rule-breaking, if they punish that too much, they might eliminate the people who would be extraordinary. So it's, it's fascinating. All right. Well, Gretchen, it's time for listener questions. And we got a ton of questions from people married to rebels and also from parents of rebel children um, to the you know matter of can you tell if, you know what tendency your child is. I think some people feel firmly that they have rebel children. Um, so I'm just going to read a couple of these questions and then we can discuss. Uh, the first one's from Diane. She says, my question is, how does one, b- one best communicate with a spouse or coworker whose tendency is rebel? They respond contrary to whatever is suggested. If S- X is suggested, they want Y. How do you get X to be their idea? Uh. Uh, good question. Um, and then this other question is from Melissa. She says... 
She hasn't taken the quiz, but I feel certain that my youngest daughter is a rebel. I'm having a hard time parenting her because she will not do anything if she perceives that any command, thought, idea, request, etc. didn't originate in her own head. It's exhausting. She's not a bad kid. She is super smart, clever, funny, and sometimes loving, but she is acutely aware of her own free will and that makes it really hard to get her to do simple things like clean her room, turn off the TV, go to bed, etc. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is the rebel, you know, if you they resist outer and inner expectation. And so the secret, I think, for rebel dealing with rebels is to remember that they can do what they want. They can do the things they choose to do. And so what you want to help them do is see what they want. So, you know, if you have a spouse or a coworker, you might show, instead of putting something in a framework of like, well, you have to do this, or this is your obligation to do this, it's more like, well, this is what you choose to do. So like, let's say you have a coworker who um, is refusing to go to staff meetings on time, right? Because they're like, why should I, I don't, I don't feel like going to a staff meeting and sitting there at 10 a.m. every Wednesday morning, like, why should I do that? You know, if you're like, well, everybody's waiting for you, or, you know, we're all doing it, you have to do it too, like, that's going to fall flat. But if you say something like, well, you know, you're not perceived to be a strong, uh, uh, like a really strong team member. Ah. Like people feel like since you're not coming, you're not engaged. Because a lot of times, so that's the strategy of identity. Because rebels are very, very, um, they, they put a lot of priority on expressing their authentic self and being true to themselves. And so if you have somebody who wants to be seen as a really strong contributing team member or a strong leader or a thoughtful parent or like a child who wants to be thought of as being really sophisticated and smart and precocious, um, if you can show them how what they're doing is contrary to that identity, then they're like, well, I want to be true to myself. And so a lot of times rebels, because I've also often been perplexed when I see a rebel doing things, I'm like, I can't understand how a rebel can get themselves to do that. But then when I talk to them about it, it's clear that they are able to do it because they see it as vindicating their own identity. This is what's important to them to show the world who they are. Um, so if you have a child and, you, and if, you know, you might say, well, you know, if you don't hand your homework in on in time, your teacher's just going to think that, like, maybe you don't know how to do it. Or your teacher's going to think that, like, you're really careless and you can't, you know, you're, you're you know, whatever that might be. And not try to, because the, the inclination of all the rest of us is to keep pressing. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And the more you do that, then the more they want to resist. The more you're like, hey, Hey, your choice over to you. You know, this is this is what I see the situation as. Um, you be the judge. You're the boss of you. Then they can be like, well, you know what? Actually, that is what I want. That does work for me. Well, my question is, like, say with the cleaning a room or turning off the TV, is this a pick your battles situation? I mean, do you just say, you know what? At the end of the day, like, I'm just not going to make her clean her room. And then maybe she will at that point if you start ask, stop asking her. Or maybe she won't, but either way, this mom won't be driving herself nuts um, trying to get her to do it. 100%. Absolutely. And the fact is, you really can't make someone clean her room. I mean, you can stand over them every single time and force them to do it, but it would take so much brute force to actually do that. 
you know, and, and, and so it's not very successful. Trying to make them do something doesn't really work very well, and it works much better. Um, but here's the thing, though, and this is the part where a lot of people kind of, you have to let the rebel experience the consequence of their action. Because the thing is, we all do things that we have to do because we don't want to experience the consequence. So, like, I talked to a rebel who hated wearing his seatbelt and didn't wear a seatbelt for a really long time, and then he got three really, really big fines. Uh. Um, and so now he wears a seatbelt because he doesn't want to pay the fines. So if, you, if you're cleaning up your daughter's room every time she resists, then she's like, well, this works for me. Right. I'm not cleaning my room, but hey, you know, there's no problem here. So you kind of have to be willing to say like, well, if you don't want, you know, if you don't feel like cleaning your room, that's okay with me. But that's what the, you're, that's going to be the, your situation. And then like for a lot of people, they don't want that. Like they want the room to be clean. The choice is to live with the consequences of it. And that for a spouse, a coworker, a parent, that can be very difficult sometimes because you don't want to live with the consequences. Um, but in that case, I think it's sort of like, well, maybe maybe you can't expect a rebel to do it. Yeah, I also think, especially from a parent point of view, I think this is harder for a coworker. But if you say like this mom, it's, you know, okay, yes, she's difficult in these ways, but how great that she'll stand up to a bully if she feels like it, you know? All these other things that she'll do that another kind of kid won't do, uh, you just have to say it's worth the, the trade-off. No, and I think this is the thing that we as parents do all the time. It's like we enjoy the upsides of some things, but then we complain about the downsides. Like as an upholder, like as a child, like I always did my homework on time. I was totally on top of things. But then like if I was going to be late for school, I would like go into hysterics. It's like right. that's who I was. It's like you can't get like the kid who's self-motivated to do homework without getting the kid who's like completely focused on being at school um, to like a preposterous degree. Like, And so the same thing with the rebel. You can see that there are these wonderful qualities that come with it. And but they also have the associated qualities. So I think you're exactly right. So now let's have the voicemails. And these are about how the rebels feel about the rebel tendency. Hi, this is Ariana from Denver, and I am a rebel. And first of all, I just want to say that I truly appreciate having a category to put myself into. It really helped me understand myself and my quirks a little bit better. And one thing that a lot of folks who are not rebels may not understand is that we rebel against ourselves a lot sometimes. And so I was wondering if perhaps you or any other listeners have advice on how to stop rebelling against myself. Thanks so much. And we have another voicemail from Annika. Yeah, hi. Um, My name is Annika from New York. And um, I'm married to a rebel. I think one of the challenges that he has and and therefore that I have deciding things with him is that he doesn't necessarily know himself what he wants to do. So my question would be, what are some uh, ways that uh, rebels can get in touch with themselves and figure out themselves what they, (laughs) in their rebelliousness, really want to do? Thanks. Well, these are both super interesting, and they they have to do with the the fact that the rebels do resist inner expectations and that and I've heard from so many rebels where that is really frustrating and in fact it was funny because when I wrote better than before I didn't put that much stuff in there about how rebels could change their habits because I figured first of all rebels aren't going to be reading a book about habits um second of all they don't believe in habits you know they're kind of philosophically opposed to the idea of habits because they don't like to chain themselves and so they're not going to care and so kind of for completeness's sake or kind of you know symmetry I included some discussion of it um, because I did see how rebels could could change their habits. But 
I've been deluged with rebels asking exactly this kind of question, saying, how do you deal with the fact that you want something, but at the same time, you resist the very fact that you want it. Yeah, how do, it's like your body is fighting itself. How do you do that? No, it, it's, it's been fascinating to talk to rebels about how they do that. And because and, and, they'll, they'll often report something like, well, I really wanted to learn how to do uh, woodworking. So I signed up for this woodworking class at two o'clock on Saturday. But then when Saturday comes, I refuse to go ah. because I refuse to have somebody telling me I'm supposed to show up at a certain place at a certain time. Or like something like exercise. Like on the one hand, the rebel really does want to exercise and wants to be healthier. But on the other hand, anything that the rebel's trying to get himself or herself to do, there's this powerful resistance. Even with things, interestingly, I've heard from several rebels who will say something like, well, I get sick when I eat X or Y. Like, oh, I'm gluten intolerant. And yet I can't stand the fact that I'm not supposed to eat gluten. So I do, even though it makes me sick. so what should what what what's the answer? What can rebels do? Well, you know, it it always comes back to this idea of choice and freedom and identity and choosing what you want and expressing yourself. Let's take the exercise example. Like you and I both do informed fitness. Like at a certain time every Friday we go in and like a trainer tells us exactly what to do and we do it. That would not be good for a rebel because everything about that would would rub them the wrong way. But so like a re- what a rebel might do is, is think about their identity and think about choice. So they'd be like, my identity is that I'm youthful. I'm vigorous. I'm energetic. But I haven't been feeling that way so much lately because I haven't been exercising. And so for me to get back to that true self, I mean, I think I feel like going to the gym more. And then they might join one of those big gyms that has tons of options. So today I feel like going to a spin class. And today I feel like wow. being on the treadmill. And yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do free weights today. You know, because then it's choosing. It's what they feel like. It's what they want. They're not locking themselves in. And they're tying it to that sense of identity of like, this is, this is an expression of who I want to be. And then Annika said her rebel husband can't even decide what he wants to do. What do you make of that? Do you think maybe he's not actually a rebel? Maybe he's... Could be. Could be. Or it could be that he just, you know, hasn't articulated himself clearly enough what identity it is he wants to embrace. And so then again, that becomes like an exercise in self-knowledge, which we should all constantly be trying to understand ourselves better. But for rebel, the more they understand who they want to be, then the more they can use that as an engine to get themselves to go where they want. Yeah. I mean, I could see if you have, if you're an extreme rebel, let's say, I could see that you would actually even resist identifying yourself. You would say, well, I'm not going to put myself into a category. I don't want to be labeled. Um, and every choice you make, of course, shuts off other choices, right? So by being a writer, I'm not being, a, you know, an accountant. So it's like every choice is does limit you in some way. Absolutely. And one, um, Jeff Dyer, who's a well-known writer uh, who clearly seems to like a rebel from what he writes about himself, talks about how he keeps moving. Because the minute he lives, he lives someplace, he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't stand the idea that I'm living here. So I have to move someplace right. else. Right. Um, right. Because to be one thing is not to be another. And uh, some people have said about rebels that, like, they'll they'll argue every side of an, of an argument, like one after the other. Like, they'll they'll switch in midstream because they don't want to be held to be in one opinion because that's too boxy for them. Gretch, this brings us to a really interesting email we got from Kelly, who sort of talks about how she copes with being a rebel. She says, the most helpful strategies from better than before for a novelty-loving rebel like me are do it now and convenience. 
When I get the notion to do something that is good for my fitness, I do it immediately as the notion strikes me. If the notion, I bet downtown LA is really pretty at 3 p.m. and it would be a good workout to walk around for an hour pops into my head, instead of saying, I'll do that someday, or I'll make time to do that next week, or I'll make a date to do that with a friend, I forward my calls to my cell phone, pull on my sneakers, and go. Which brings me to convenience. I keep my workout clothes, my yoga mat, and my swimming gear in my car always. So if the notion strikes to go for a swim or try a new yoga class or walk around downtown LA in the middle of the day, I just get up and go now. Basically, I let inspiration and whim guide me. It sounds like it should be irresponsible, but somehow it always works. To-do lists are my enemy. As soon as something makes it onto a to-do list, it becomes a chore that I won't want to do, no matter how excited about it I was when I first came up with the idea. So if I know something needs to be done, I just do it before it can end up as an item on a to-do list. I mean, that that's just a great example of how a rebel who who recognizes the nature of her tendency is taking advantage of it to get where she wants to go. Instead of trying to fight herself and force herself to do a to-do list or throwing up her hands altogether, she's really figured out what works for her and taking advantage. Now, she did point out that she's a self-employed solo practitioner, so it's easier for her, but she's figured out how to make it work. And I just think that's a great example for rebels about when they embrace their rebel nature, there really are things that they can do that are going to allow them to follow through on those expectations even given their rebel tendency. So that's the end of our discussion of the rebel tendency. And remember, um, I'm writing a book that's going to be about the four tendencies, a short handbook on the four tendencies. And if you want to find out when it's ready to hit the shelves, just text me at 66866 and enter the word tendencies, uh, and I'll let you know when it's done. Uh, Don't hold your breath, but I am working on it. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing, from hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretsch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, it's time for demerits and gold stars. Elizabeth, you're up. Gretch, this week my demerit is very, um, it's just very basic and, and <laughs> annoying. Um, Aren't they it all? It is time, yeah, right. I need to get my car serviced. You know, I have this thing in my car that it pops up when it's time to get it serviced. I need a service C, whatever that is. And I haven't done it. And every single time I turn on my car, this notice pops up reminding me that I have not done it. So I have that nagging feeling every single time I turn on my car. 
Um, and I believe I'm about 72 days maybe at this point past service. So it's been a while and I've just been ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it, except for it's not even like I'm totally ignoring it because I have to face it every time I start the car. You can't be blissfully ignorant. You're just like no. just staring you in the face. Well, do you think you really need to get your car serviced? Well, there is. I, I mean, I assume I should at least to have the oil checked and the tires and the brake pads. Um, that's car talk for you know those of us <laughs> in LA who deal with cars. Um, but at the same time, I, I think I also have a feeling like they always find you know unnecessary things to do. So you always feel like you're sort of getting taken advantage of, but you don't have the power to stop it. So that's unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, I should get it done. Well, so and here's the thing is you and I both really hate to drive. Um, but because I, I live in New York, I don't have to drive very much, but you have to drive all the time. But then do you think maybe getting your car service makes you feel less anxiety about your car because uh, that's one of the things that I worry about when I drive is like what would I do if if the tire blew out and I wouldn't know right. what to do or like there's something comforting about knowing like oh my car is in tip-top shape oh yeah I would feel a huge sense of relief for sure when it's done so how can you give yourself some external accountability for this um I don't know I mean, oh, you could just tell Adam to call and make an appointment at the garage for you. And then you would feel like you had to take uh, it in. Um, that's probably a good idea. Make an appointment. Have someone make an appointment because I'm not going to make an appointment. 72 days, 95 days. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's it. That's my I'm sure others, yes. um, by the oh way, gosh. have also right. had the same demerit because I think we all hate to take our car in. Oh, 100 uh, percent. Now, Gretch, what's your gold star? Oh, my gosh. I have the best gold star. I'm so excited about this. Um, so, like, a gold star is, you know, something that, like, boosts your happiness. And this is just giving me a totally irrationally disproportionate amount of happiness. So I figured out, like, two or three weeks ago, this new thing I'm doing, which is on my Facebook page. At, on Sunday evening, I post a photo of all the books I've read this week. And this is just, okay, so it does many things for me. First of all, I love to shine a spotlight on books because um, I love to read. It's my favorite thing to do. And, and I feel like people need, like the more book rep recommendations people get, the more they read because they're like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to read that or whatever. So I love shining a spotlight on books. Also, I made a decision that if, like, so now I'm really hard on myself. If I don't like a book, I stop reading it right away. And so mm, if I don't like a book, that. if I don't like a book, I don't finish it. And so if so there's a bunch of books that I started in a week, but that don't make it into the pile, but I don't have to say anything mean about them. I just don't include them. But Aww. it also means that if you see a book in the pile, it means I enjoyed it because I finished it. So everything in the pile is a good book and worth I would recommend because I'm like, oh, it was worth me finishing. I enjoyed it. And it also gives me this feeling of like satisfaction, like cross it off the list. Like I get credit for it. You know, I'm such a gold star junkie. It's like, ooh, I get credit for five books. Um, and it was actually funny because on Facebook, I posted a picture of what I read and I'd been flying a lot. So I did get a lot of reading done. But somebody was like, I'm skeptical. <laughs> somebody else was like, are you actually saying that you think Gretchen is lying? <laughs> about the fact she if anyone knew you, they would not find it um, surprising that you read like 10 books or something in a week. But also it was like the books that I picked were so, if you look at the list, you're like, if you were going to lie about the books that you picked, these would not be the books that would be in your pile. Like it was not, you know, uh, it was, it, it was so obviously somebody's weird eccentric choice. But anyway, so I'm loving 
Um, and also what's great is because I post it, then people will be like, oh, I love John Scalzi. I, I really like this oh, other book by nice. him. And so then I'm like, oh, I read this book, but now I get this other good recommendation. Or people say, if you like this, then maybe you like that. And so it's like my library list is exploding. So it's tons of fun. That's great. Yeah. Well, I will not be joining in this gold star because if I took a picture of my reading for the week, it'd be like, you know, one Us Weekly. <laughs> um, and it would be quite embarrassing. But I also want to say for those people out there who are skeptical that you read incredibly fast. You read faster than anyone I've ever met, um, which, you know, helps you get through all this. Yeah, yeah, I guess I don't feel like I read that fast, but I guess I must. You do. <sighs> so many books, so little time. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Come up with a motto for your tendency and call us and let us know what you came up with. Remember, for our upcoming very special episode 40, uh, our special holiday episode, we want to hear from you. What is your try this at home for having a better holiday, whether that's dealing with your family, dealing with traveling, handling work over a holiday, whatever it might be, what's a try this at home that's working for you that you would recommend to everybody else? Please let us know. Thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com, so please get in touch. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.